Hey listeners, quick question. Are you tired of overpaying for your mobile plan? I've got the answer. Ting Mobile. Ting Mobile is all about flexibility and savings. You only pay for what you use, no crazy fees or overages. It's perfect for those who want control over their phone bill without s- sacrificing quality. Say goodbye to bloated phone bills. Go to milwaukeemafia.com slash ting. Ting Mobile. Mobile that makes sense. You're listening to Milwaukee Mafia, your weekly podcast dose of Wisconsin Mafia and true crime history. Hey everybody, thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Milwaukee Mafia podcast. I'm Eric Walterkins. I'm Gavin Schmidt. And we're going to turn it over to Gavin right away and he's going to give us the clue in on what our topic for the day is. All right, thanks. Uh, Yeah, we're going to talk about prohibition of a constant topic, if you're going to talk about uh, mafia history, is always going to come up. Uh, Eric, you know what prohibition was, yeah? Yes, I know what prohibition was. Okay, so we don't really have to talk about that too much. Uh, so yeah, prohibition came into effect for a variety of reasons, but here are three main ones. Uh, one was the progressive Puritans, people who thought you shouldn't have any fun. They didn't like you drinking or hanging out with women or things like that. And uh, these people exist? They did at the time. Really? Yeah. Okay. Two, uh, anti-German sentiment, because this was around World War One, so we didn't really like Germans at the time, and Germans are associated with beer drinking. And three, rationing, because again, this is around World War One, so, you know, this water, yeast, sugar, these could go to better things than beer. Uh, you know, our troops need this stuff. I, I kind of feel like I'd like to have been back in those times, because those don't seem like... Big enough reasons to drive to prohibition. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I don't know. But anyways, continue. Well, it worked. <laughs> yeah, I guess. <laughs> it worked. So, yeah, uh, Milwaukee, uh, as you might imagine, was not crazy in favor of prohibition. Imagine that. Uh, it was a heavily German city. It still is. And it had nine breweries. It employed over 6,000 workers. And... They were making, you know, as total, the breweries were making $35 million a year, which was quite a bit at the time. So, yeah, they didn't really want to lose that money. And they didn't, 6,000 people didn't want to lose their jobs. This is really off topic, but yeah. But okay, so when the breweries did have to close down for that period of time, did they repurpose themselves? Do you know? Do they you know, sure did. What did they do? Uh, well, some of them, uh, I believe Paps started making cheese. And I uh, know they, they kind of just made other things. Uh, some of them skirted by, they made what was called near beer, okay. which is basically like non-alcoholic beer. beer. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah, they, a lot of them uh, uh, diversified into real estate, things like that. So uh, pretty much none of them went under. Which is impressive, I would. Well, I mean, how long did Prohibition go on for? 13 years. Holy crap, I would not have guessed it was that long. Yeah, 13 years. <laughs> okay. That's impressive, then, that none of them went under from it. Yep. So, pretty much what happened in Milwaukee is nobody really wanted it. Uh, It wasn't very well enforced. Uh, The federal agents would come in and they'd try to shut people down, but the local police really didn't care. Uh, So, it wasn't hard to get alcohol if you wanted it. Lots of people were still making it at home, and you could get a prescription from your pharmacist for, for alcohol if they came up with a reason for why you should be drinking, which is, it was BS, but, you know, it worked. 
It very much sounds exactly like what's going on with marijuana today. There's some parallels. Yeah. Definitely some parallels. But yeah, you could find it. You could go to what were called soft drink parlors, which some of them were soft drink parlors. Some of them were not. You could go to roadhouses outside the city limits. A lot of people made it themselves. Like I said, the pharmacists and whatever. Uh, Rum runners would come down from Canada. Um, Like Seagram's was still open because it's in Canada. And they'd they'd sail in on Lake Michigan, which made Michigan a great, not Michigan, made Milwaukee a great (laughs) place for the the booze to come in because it's right on the lake. So a lot of uh, a lot of booze was coming in that way. Um, a lot of people got sort of rich off of this. Uh, the Club Madrid was a known place. It was owned by Sam Pick. Sam Pick might come up at another time because he uh, ended up him and his son ended up becoming very notable uh, gangster gamblers in the in the area. Uh, the Third Ward, which we we talked about with the fire, that's where the Italians are. Uh, they were very popular during this time because Italians were known for making their own wine. Uh, they would uh, make what was called Dago Red, which is probably very racist now, but that's what they—that's <laughs> what it was called. And they'd make booze out of apples, potatoes, cherries, anything that they could sort of turn into uh, to alcohol. Uh, they'd get teenagers to drive cars and, and ship this stuff out of the area and bring supplies into the area. They'd convert their vehicles so they could hide the booze inside of it. Again, locals didn't really care, but uh, if the federal agents caught you, you'd be in some serious trouble. So when you, when they're doing this, yeah. So you're talking about all the way, different ways they bring the supplies in and create the alcohol. Are they still running bars and serving it to people, or is this more of a you know the right guy to get it so you can drink it at home type thing? It's probably more at home. I mean, there were still bars but you couldn't be too obvious about it because then the prohibition agents will come in um but yeah yeah so at at one point in 1921 this is very early on in prohibition uh the eastern district of wisconsin which covers all the way down from milwaukee up to green bay only had one federal agent so it really wasn't too hard to avoid (laughs) that guy um by the end of the year, it got up to seven, and, and it peaked at 17, which, again, oh. 17 for the yeah, entire for area. Years. Not a whole lot of cops looking out for this. So, yeah, and if you were arrested, you didn't really serve a lot of uh, serious jail time. Uh, people were sent to the workhouse, which is just a a jail in Milwaukee, kind of just for this sort of activity. And they ended up getting in some trouble. The local people running the jail got in trouble. Because uh, the bootleggers in there would still have parties. They somehow got booze into the jail. <laughs> they would drink. They would cook out steaks. Women were going in there. Um, and this was kind of an open secret. But eventually, you know, when they were doing uh, investigations for corruption, this kind of came out. And uh, nobody was surprised. But yeah, you're not really supposed to let them have this in jail. So so you, you said that this jail was called the Workhouse Jail. Yes. It, w- was that name given to it because it was mostly like they were kind of forcing these people to do some sort of job within this yeah, thing? Yeah. I mean, I don't know that they really were. But that's the idea is that, you know, like when they say you go to prison where, with hard labor, it's kind of that idea. Just the local version of that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so pretty much it, the most dangerous thing that's going to happen to you is you're not really worried about the police. Uh, if you're a bootlegger, you're probably more worried that your still is going to explode, which did happen <laughs> on occasion. Sometimes 
you know, if you didn't know what you were doing, it would blow up. And that's not good either. Uh, although the most citizens didn't care, there were uh, people who did. There was the Anti-Saloon League. Uh, they formed uh, their own sort of private police force to go around and then like report people to the feds. And uh, the Milwaukee Rotary Club apparently was really against drinking. So the Rotary Club was, was uh, ratting people out. And, of course, the Ku Klux Klan was going around at this time. And that's definitely a topic we're going to cover in the future because I, I think that's the most fascinating thing. Now, when you're talking about the Ku Klux Klan, they were going around and narking out people for having alcohol? Correct. Hey, what focus? I, I, I know that we're going to cover this in a future episode, yeah. but what was the focus of that? Like, what was their motivation behind not wanting people to drink, I guess. Yeah, I think it was sort of indirect. I don't know that they were specifically against drinking. I think they were against the people who were drinking because the Ku Klux Klan really disliked uh, immigrant groups. So again, this would be the Italians at this time. And they really disliked Catholics. And a lot of the people who were drinking were Catholics. The Germans were heavily Catholic. The so Irish it was were more of a Catholic. thing. It wasn't about the alcohol. It was just about, hey, this is a way we can get these people that we don't like in trouble. Yeah. I, I don't know that they specifically were against drink. Maybe they were, but it just there was an overlap between the people who were drinking and the people who they didn't like. Mm-hmm. So, um, but yeah, like I said, that's a topic we're definitely going to cover in the future because I always find that fascinating that we had that. Uh, because it certainly wasn't something I was aware of right. when I was younger. Definitely. Uh, yeah, so many Milwaukee politicians, uh, notable, notably the socialists. Uh, socialist, socialism was a big thing in Milwaukee in the early years. About 50 years straight, they had a socialist mayor, um, which is crazy. But they were actively campaigning against the enforcement. And already by the mid-1920s, state laws passed saying that they would not enforce it. They wouldn't even hand people off to the federal authorities anymore. So, so uh, Wisconsin was basically running against the law. So, so when you were talking before the, how there was like seventeen people that were out there looking for these people, yeah. did they work for the state? And at that no. point in time, they the federal government actually had these people here looking. Yeah, for they're, they're prohibition agents. They were working for the Department of the Treasury, actually, which sounds funny to say they worked for the Treasury, but that was it was like a tax violation. So. When this, when Wisconsin decided that we're no longer going to partake in this mm-hmm. or whatever, like we're not going to support this, what the federal government is doing, how is how did that look? Did they not allow these federal agents into the state or something? Or no, was- the, the agents still existed, but it was just before it was kind of in in Milwaukee the the local police didn't care. In some other cities, the local police did care. And they would, but now, re- yeah, they would report it to the federal agents. But now it was, it was the law was passed where this isn't a state crime anymore, so don't turn them in. Gotcha. God, the parallels between it and marijuana are yeah a lot, man. Yep. Yep. <laughs> okay, so I want to swing back to the whole bar situation. Sure. So, um, so they. They're operating these bars, you said, but you had to kind of be be on the down low with this. So was this like a kind of a private type thing where you almost had to know somebody to get into one of these bars? Is that how it kind of played out? I think there was some of that, yeah. I mean, I mean, you couldn't openly put like a Schlitz sign in your front window. Like that would be a really stupid idea. 
So yeah, I think like a lot of them were calling themselves soft drink parlors and they, they would have that. They would have soft drinks there. But I think, you know, you would get to know the bartender Tender, or the owner and then they would know that you were okay to serve drinks too, which really isn't all that different than bars now. I mean, you know, if you go to a bar often enough, you know half the people there anyway. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and I've had bar owners tell me that like like having a bar is basically like having a private club because most of the people that come there, you know them all because yeah. they come over, over and over and over again. Right, so, right. So that's interesting. Yeah, so I mean, if you got caught, you could have your business padlocked and you could lose it and everything else, but it wasn't heavily enforced, really. So with the mafia side of this, the yes. mafia was... I mean, I assume they were a huge player in this, but they were by no means the only player, correct? Absolutely. This was going on everywhere. This was going on everywhere. And and you thank you for bringing it back. I appreciate that. You did it perfectly. <laughs> because this is where I draw the difference between Milwaukee and other cities. And um, Chicago, Detroit, some other big cities. This was the time when the mafia exploded. It got huge. Um, obviously, everybody knows Al Capone, and Al Capone got huge in Chicago because of Prohibition. That didn't happen in Milwaukee. Um, the mob was definitely involved. Uh, the connections they had helped them get booze shipped in from Canada, and, and they would get it transported to other cities. And, and you know, they had a good network going, but they didn't get huge because people didn't rely on them. In Chicago, if you wanted a drink, you kind of had to go through Capone or you know one of his friends. In Milwaukee, it wasn't too hard to find somebody who could get you some beer or some whiskey. You didn't have to rely on the mob. They were active, but they didn't have a monopoly on it by any means because it's Milwaukee. I mean, there's beer everywhere. So do you think that happened, that it played out that way because Capone was doing something down in Chicago that kind of made people realize that, no, you do not do this because I'm doing this? type thing like a scare tech so. or do you think it was just that it was so much more acceptable up in Milwaukee to be drinking mm-hmm. that all sorts of people were just jumping in on? that's that's my interpretation is I don't think it was so much that Capone was pushing people out like competitors out as it was just it was more dangerous in Chicago and when something is more dangerous it's more valuable that sort of thing um, so in Milwaukee like again you're going to profit but you're not going to profit big i mean you can only mark up your prices so much when it's something anybody can find mm-hmm. whereas in chicago where the police actually did enforce the laws uh, not everybody you know and their brother was like making booze at home because that could have been a serious issue if you got caught right but yeah milwaukee you didn't have that so the mob this would have been a prime opportunity for the mob to like double or triple in size and it didn't happen in milwaukee like it did in Chicago or Detroit or other cities because they didn't make these massive profits. So this might have actually, Prohibition, ironically, might have been the event that stopped Milwaukee from getting a bigger mob presence than it did. And why do you say that that it stopped it? Because, yeah. because like again, with comparing it to Capone, like before El Capone, Chicago had a mafia. But, I mean, it was, nobody had really heard of it. They were relatively minor. But after that, I mean, it was huge and it's still there today. I mean, it's massive. I mean, not so much massive today, but it was massive in its in its peak. 
And Milwaukee never got as big. And part of that is because Milwaukee is obviously a smaller city than Chicago. But they also didn't have that catalyst they didn't of have, this revenue right. pouring in like crazy like right. the Chicago Mafia had when they had Prohibition. Right, exactly. They weren't suddenly making millions of dollars off of booze. You know, they were making profits, but they weren't making crazy profits. So uh, it, it this was the time when throughout the country the mob really came into focus and you read about gangsters getting shot dead in the street and bloodbaths and everything. And there was a little bit of that in Milwaukee. I mean, we'll, again, we'll talk about that in the future, about different people who were involved in shootout stuff. But it was not nearly what it was in Chicago or other cities because it just wasn't as dangerous to be running booze. It's interesting. So now, do you think... Um... So I think you kind of said this, that you think the reason why our, the Milwaukee Mafia never got as big as it did mm-hmm. is because it didn't have that catalyst. Um, prior, would you if would you say that prior to Prohibition, did Prohibition make the Mafia in Milwaukee bigger? Or did they just kind of tread along and that was just something they kind of hit on for a little while while it was going on, but never never really got like obviously they didn't get the boost that Chicago did mm-hmm. but did they get a boost from it at all would you say they probably did but it's it, would, it pretty would, ins- it, yeah it would be hardly noticeable interesting i mean if it did anything it probably uh set people up to become known as suppliers so then when it became legal again you know they've got more bar ownership that type of thing i mean small ways like that but no, I I can't imagine that it was a big bump. Interesting, cool. So, do you, do we have more for this story? No, or? that's that's pretty much all that I I think covers just prohibition in general as far as how it affected Milwaukee. I think that is very cool. Um, I this might be something we'll cover in a future episode. But is there an event in Milwaukee's mafia history that you feel like was a big catalyst for them? Ooh, that's a great question. Um, wow, putting me on the spot. I don't know if there was one real event. I think the big thing they did was when they got involved in Vegas. I think that's when things took off big for them as far as making money was was getting involved in Las Vegas. Um, but that's just off the top of my head. I mean, I, I don't know. I'd have to put some more thought into that. But that was definitely a major turning point as far as going from making thousands to making millions. So now, everybody, you have to hold on and wait for the Vegas episode to oh, find out. We'll definitely get there. <laughs> so that'll wrap up this episode. Why don't you hit them with contact info? And if you've got a story for the next episode, we can share that now. Keep them on their toes. Uh, you can email MilwaukeeMafia at gmail.com. Um, you can go to MilwaukeeMafia.com and find all the great things there. Or you can go to Facebook.com slash MilwaukeeMafia, which uh, I post to pretty regularly. And you can message me there. Cool. And Patreon.com slash MilwaukeeMafia. And as always, please, if you enjoy this podcast, leave us a rating on your favorite podcast player. And we will be back in two weeks thanks for tuning in to the milwaukee mafia podcast join us next week for another look back at wisconsin mafia and true crime history hey podcast community 
It's Eric, and I've got something exciting for all you online entrepreneurs out there. If you're looking to take your e-commerce store to the next level, you need to check out Aurora Repricer. With Aura, you can effortlessly reprice your Amazon inventory automatically. Ready to elevate your Amazon business? Head over to milwaukeemafia.com slash Aura. That's A-U-R-A to get started today.